Hey, good morning. Oh, you guys are so much better at that in the second service than the first service was this morning. That makes a brother feel good up here. Hey, uh, I love Christmas time, and uh, we've kind of entered into that realm uh, this, this month. Uh, last night, we got to hang out at the Parade of Lights downtown. And I got to tell you guys, I love our town. Right? I, and I, I love our town, especially when it's Christmas time, because it gets decorated so well down there. The lights are all over the place. And it was just a really fun atmosphere last night with, 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 with people filling the streets. And, and so I felt like that like, kind of kicked off Christmas uh, and the Advent season for me. Um, would you just uh, bow uh, with us? And we're going to spend some time praying, and then we'll jump into what we're going to talk about today. Father, thank you uh, that we get to spend time together here as uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, but also as uh, maybe men and women that are in the room that are on our way towards you, trying to figure out if we can um, believe this thing, if we can believe, Jesus, that there was a baby who came that would be the Savior of the world. And there are people that are uh, trying to sort that out in their own world right now. And so, Lord, I want to pray that you would be ultra clear through your spirit this morning to, to us that you'd be so sweet to us and, and how we hear and how we respond and whether it's through the words that I say or if it's just simply your spirit moving in and out amongst us and making your truth stick into our hearts. Father, I pray that you would do that. Father, if there's somebody in here who's doubting this morning, I pray that you would show yourself real. If there's somebody in this room who's hurting right now in this Advent season because uh, for whatever reason, Lord, I pray that you would heal and you would bind up and uh, you would be uh, the, the, the God of peace for them even right now, and the God of comfort. Father, we want this whole morning to be for you. And so would you use it for your glory? And would you somehow, some way, use it for our good, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, it was uh, Christmas time. Um, it was actually Christmas uh, around 1990. And, and I, I'd come out of, of our bedroom. My sister was really good about wake like showing up into my room and wake me up at like three or four o'clock in the morning say hey Santa Claus came and I'd be like okay great Uh, but I ran out into the living room with my pajamas on or pajamas my my that that was the mix between pjs and pajamas so you can put that in your back pocket and use it anytime you want you don't have to give me any credit for it um so I, I ran out of the room in my PJs, and, and uh, just start, we started ripping into gifts, right? My, my mom is handing me gifts, my dad's handing me gifts, and they're handing gifts to my sister as well, and we're ripping into those things. And, and, but really, the only thing that I really wanted for this Christmas, maybe you wanted it too when you were growing up, the only thing that I wanted was the, the NES I wanted the Nintendo game system, right? Like, it was pretty fresh out. It had been out maybe for a year or so. But I wanted that thing more than anything else. It didn't matter what else. That's it. Yeah, who, who got this underneath the tree one year? Oh, yeah, come on now. Like, that, I mean, that's an antique. Look at that thing. Who remembers, like, doing the whole, like, when the game stopped working, you had to blow out the air into it? Like, I, mine, I, I probably, like, hit it more times than I actually played it, like, to try to get it to work after a while. But I was so excited for this thing to, to, to show up underneath the tree. And, like, they're handing me, uh, pa- like, soft packages, right? Like, things that don't have any edges on it. I didn't want anything with no edges. I didn't want soft packages, but they kept giving me those things. Like, okay, I'll do those until. But I was looking for the big square package underneath the tree. And, and then finally I got to something that was like, maybe this is it. Like, like, maybe this is the one. And, and I ripped inside of it. And, and sure enough, like, I didn't always get what I wanted, but this particular year, I got the NES underneath of the tree. And all of my dreams, all of my hopes fulfilled right there in that box. And, and, I, and I start looking at it, and I was like, oh, thank you, God. 
I don't know if I said thank you, God, in that moment, but I was like, I was thanking somebody, right? And, and the box was gorgeous. Uh, the, I opened it up, and I'm relishing and just how good it was on the inside, and, and, and it had my name on it. Like, this was my gift. And so I take this, and I'm like, all I, could do, all I want to do is go play it. And so I took it, and I ran into my room and tried to figure out how to, to get it all set up and plugged in. And as I'm running out of the room, this is what my parents said. Make sure you share it with your sister. I said, hold up. Hold up. Like, this had my name on it. It said Anthony. It didn't say sister. It didn't say Nicole. Like, it said Anthony. on It was my gift. And so I went into my room, and I'm sulking, man. I'm salty in this moment. I'm sitting in the room, and I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, I can't possibly play this with somebody else. Like, this is mine. And, and so I sat there for a while, and then after a little bit, I was like, maybe I can sneak this in. And, and so I started to plug it in, and I started to play it. And I think my sister told on me is what really happened. And, and so she runs out, and, and she goes and gets my parents, and my parents come in, and, and they say, let her play. I said, no. It's mine. And she, they said, let her play. And I said, no, it's mine. And they said, let her play or it's going to be ours. And I said, okay, I'll let her play. <laughs> like you got me backed into a corner. What am I going to do? And, and so uh, I let her play. And uh, I'm going to tell you guys something that I've never told anybody else except for the first service, right? <laughs> and it's safe to say because she's not in here right now. I actually enjoy playing it better with her than I did playing it by myself. Oh, yeah. Did y'all put like a script? No, I didn't say that. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, but I, really, I did. I enjoyed playing it better with her because it made the experience more enjoyable. To have somebody to share that excitement with was more enjoyable. And like, I got to beat her over and over and over again. And that was fun, right? And every once in a while, she got close to beating me, and that was fun for her. And, and so we just enjoyed this thing together. I, I found out like it was, it was more enjoyable like when somebody else was involved, when somebody else got to play the game too. See, we, we're in the midst of uh, a new Advent series. We kicked it off last week, and we, uh, we called it Unwrapped, where we're, we're spending time unwrapping the true meaning behind the season of Advent. And, and Advent, as some of you already know, um, we talked about it last week, but Advent is this, this period of waiting with great anticipation and expectation of the Savior, this great gift that was going to come at uh, one time. But then, like, after he came once, he said, I'm going to come again. And so not only are we celebrating and waiting in great anticipation for the Savior who came once, but we're waiting in great anticipation and with angst for the day that the world isn't as it is right now, that he's going to come again and he's going to take us to be where he is. And so Advent, we're celebrating the front end of Jesus' life, but we're also celebrating the back end when he's coming to take us to be with him again. And last week, uh, we looked at Simeon. Uh, James walked us through that so beautifully. And uh, in Simeon's life, uh, we got to see that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel, this comforting of Israel, this, this salving, this soothing of Israel's pain and angst that they were in. And Simeon was waiting for, for this, that the Prince of Peace would actually come. See, God had promised Simeon that he would, with his own eyes, with his very own eyes, he was going to see the promised one. He was going to see the gift uh, of the Savior to come. And so he was waiting for him. And then so Mary and Joseph, they show up, 
and, and they, they run into the temple because they're taking uh, the child Jesus to perform, uh, to fulfill the law on his behalf. And so uh, I don't know what it was about Jesus and Mary and Joseph that signaled to Simeon that now's the time, like this is the one that you're looking for. But Simeon, like he just like trails him, man. Like he goes into the temple and, and he's like, hey, this is the one. And he scoops the, the child Jesus out of their arms. Like, I don't know what that'd be like if you were a parent to see that go down. But it'd be like, dude, did you sanitize your hands? Like, like did you, are, are, are you able, like, what are you doing with my baby? But, but so Simeon takes the child into his arms. And he looks the child into the face. And when he's looking to his eyes, he's seeing the one that he's been waiting on. He's seeing the Prince of Peace. He's seeing the one that's going to be not only the Savior for him, but it's going to be the Savior of the, entire, of the entire world. And you can almost feel the excitement in the room for him. That The, the excitement must have been palpable. It, it must have been oozing out of him. Because these are the words that he says. He says, My eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And what Simeon was doing in this moment right here is he's holding the baby Jesus. He's echoing the same promise that was given to Abraham a long, long time ago, way back in Genesis chapter 12. He's echoing the promise that was given to Abraham because Abraham was given a promise in Genesis 12. He said, if you're in you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. And through you, every family of the earth is going to be blessed. But some, see, something had gone wrong, right? All the way back in Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 1, great. Genesis chapter 2, great. And then something happens in chapter 3. Like everything breaks down. Sin enters into the world and there is wreck, there is havoc, there's a separation between God and man. And in this moment, God said, I'm not going to leave it like this. I'm going to send you a rescuer. I'm going to send you somebody who's going to fix all this mess. It's not going to always be like this. And he's going to come and fix all this. And the way that God decided that he was going to do that, there's a lot of different ways, but there's one specific, that he was going to choose to set aside a group of people. And in that group of people, they would be pointing people towards the Lord. They would be pointing towards and then helping them prepare the way of the Lord. He took Israel. He gave Abraham a promise that I'm going to bless all the nations through you. All the world is going to be blessed through you. And so he, the nation of Israel begins to be established and they begin, God begins to set them apart so that they could be a people who are called to prepare the way for the Savior who will one day come. But Israel, in the middle of this waiting, they began to get possessive. They began to take a hold of God and to say, this is my God. This is my promise. He belongs to me. He doesn't belong to anybody else. He is our God. It was inconceivable for them to think that they could actually, that God would allow the Gentiles into the story. It was inconceivable for them to think that, that anybody outside of the nation of Israel could be a part of the promise that God had given to, to, to Abraham and that had really established in Genesis chapter 3. They didn't, they didn't believe that God could graft anybody in. They didn't believe that the game could be better if other people got to be involved. See, God was saying, go tell people about me. Go tell people about me. Point people to me. But they didn't do that. They kept Jesus to them, or they, they kept God to themselves. Century after century after century. And so what God did, he said, here's how I'm going to lead my people. I'm going to send judges. But the judges didn't work. 
because the people started complaining. They said, we want a, we want a king. We want to be like every other nation around us. And so God gave them a king. And the kings didn't work because uh, people stopped following the kings because the kings were leading the, the people not towards God. They were actually leading people away from God. Not every king, but the majority of the kings that were in Israel and in Judah were pointing people away from God, not pointing people, not preparing people for the Lord at all. And, and so the kings didn't work out. And so instead of the kings, God decided, you know what? I'm going to send prophets to you. I'm going to tell you what it looks like to follow after me. I'm going to tell you what it looks like to repent and to turn your heart back to me. And to be a people that I've called you to be. And that didn't work out because the people began to, to beat the prophets. They mistreated the prophets. They didn't listen to the prophets at all. See, God was telling. God was telling the world. He was telling them. He was saying, tell the world about me. But it just seemed like nobody was listening. It seemed like it wasn't happening. And so silence took place. The last prophet speaks. And then 400 years of Israel waiting to hear another voice, another word from God, another sign that says, we, I care about you, another sign that says, I'm coming for you. 400 years they waited for God to speak again. And then one day the silence breaks and you start hearing these echoes of the same message that God's been saying since sin entered into the world, really since the beginning of the world. This, there's a gift that's coming I'm not done with my people. There's a gift that's coming that isn't just for you, but there's a gift that's coming that's for the entire world. And, and, and when this child Jesus shows up, and he's sitting in Simeon's arms, and Simeon is looking at Jesus, he says, my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. Don't rush past that. Right, a, a light of revelation for the Gentiles, not just for the Jews, but for the entire world and for glory to your people, Israel. This was a promise that was going all the way back to Abraham. And even before Abraham, it was going back to, to, to fulfill what God had said in Genesis chapter 3. It won't always be like this. I'm going to send somebody. I'm going to send you a gift that's going to make all of this right. You see what Simeon's saying here? He's saying that this is the one that we've been waiting on. And the one that we've been waiting on isn't just for us, but the one that we've been waiting on is for the entire world. This gift isn't just for me to sit in my room and to play by myself. This gift is for the entire world. This gift of salvation is not just for me, but it's for everybody around me too. He says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So this child that I'm holding right now is for everyone. But if this gift is for everyone, How's the entire world going to hear about it? Well, it seems all throughout Scripture that, that God, like throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament as well, that God has chosen to use remarkably, uniquely ordinary people to share the extraordinarily good, good news and the great gift of Jesus. God has chosen throughout history not to take the most elite, not to take the best, not to take the one that you would expect, he, 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 throughout history, has chosen to use ordinary people like you and me sitting in these seats to share the extraordinary good news and great gift of, of Jesus. I remember when uh, um, I was 20 years old, I'd come to the Lord. I'd been, I'd been a believer for, for two whole years. <laughs> two whole years. I got saved when I was 18. I was 20, and I was selling shoes in my little hometown in, in southern Ohio. And, and, and I thought, boy, this job, like, uh, it, it's paying some bills. But Lord, if you want to, to change my life, if you, if you want to give me a new job, if you want to give me a new direction, that'd be fantastic because I really don't feel like selling shoes for my entire life. If that's what you want me to do, fine, I'll do it. 
But that's, I would have other plans for my life. And so I started to pray. I said, God, what do you want out of my life? And here's what I began to hear in my spirit. He said, tell people about me. I said, huh? He said, tell people about me. And, and there when I was 20 years old, I, I began to feel this call towards ministry, like vocational ministry, to go and tell people about Jesus, right? Like, you don't have to be a pastor to go tell people about Jesus, but for me, in this moment, in my world, I felt like Jesus was calling me, this is going to be your life. You are going to vocationally tell people about me. And, and in that moment, I'm thinking like, God, like, I'm just a young kid. Like, I'm 20 years old. I'm from an insignificant little town. Like, like it, it's a good town. Like, I grew up here. I mean, but wouldn't you want to choose somebody from somewhere else? I began to think, like, God, there's no possible way that you'd want to choose me. I'm really not that smart. And, and, and like, I, I don't like to, so like, I, I took the ACTs when I was in college, or to, to go to college, right? And I took it, and my scores were low, and I thought, okay, you're supposed to take it more than once, like, to increase your, I took it again, and it was worse. And I said, this is not the right direction. And so I was not gifted with brains very well. And, and, and so, God, I'm not that smart. I don't like to study. I don't like to read. And it seems to me that if you're going to be a pastor, you should probably want to do those things right? You should hopefully say, yes, you should want that, right? And, and, I, was, and I was thinking, like, that's just not me, God. It's, it's just not. Um, I, I was saying to the Lord, you know, I do some pretty dumb stuff every once in a while. Actually, I, I do some pretty dumb things uh, uh, a lot of, of the time. I can be immature, I, I can act in ways that I shouldn't act. I could be really quick to, to, to spout off my mouth and I have to go grab a broom and try to sweep up all the mess that I've caused. Like, I can be really immature and do things that just, that don't look like they belong to you, Lord. And, and my past, like, it's, it's pretty crummy. It's pretty sketchy. There's some things that, like, if it came out from under the rug or it came out in, in public, like, Lord, you would not want that on my resume as somebody that you would want proclaiming your message. And I began to feel just completely unqualified. Like, I'm not qualified to do what you're asking me to do. I don't know enough. And I said, come on, God. Come on, really? That's what you want? Anybody ever have, a, like, just a come on moment with Jesus? He said, come on, God. Like, come on. Like, that's really what you're calling me to? That's really what you're asking out of me? That's really what you're going to walk me through? Come on. And I heard it in my spirit. Tell people about me tell people about it. I said, how could you ever use me? You ever, ever feel unqualified to tell people about Jesus? <laughs> you ever feel unqualified to, to, to point people to the greatest gift that you've ever received? I mean, sometimes we just feel unqualified for all kinds of different reasons, right? I mean, some of us, uh, we, we feel unqualified because we don't feel like we know all the answers. I, we, we feel like we're supposed to know everything, and, and because we don't know everything, we feel like, oh, I can't possibly open up my mouth and share anything because I'm going to look like a fool. I'm going to look like I should know more than this. And sometimes you just feel unqualified or a little bit inadequate because um, there are days as we walk with Christ where we just don't really feel Christ-like, right? If, if people were to put a spotlight on your life, you would say, man, that's not me, bro. Like, it just, I'm not emanating Christ, right? I'm not allowing him to live very clearly through me. Like, I'm called to reflect his glory. I'm called to reflect his holiness. But when people look at me right now, like, I'm not reflecting very well. And so you would say, well, I just don't want to stand in this place of being a hypocrite. And so, so I, like, I can't possibly share people, share Jesus with people because they're going to look at my life and say, well, if that's it, I don't want anything to do with that. And so you feel inadequate or you feel disqualified or unqualified. Maybe you're just afraid to have the conversation with somebody because you feel like it's going to be awkward and it's your mom or it's your dad, or it's your kids or 
somebody at work. It's a guy who lives, somebody who doesn't look like you or doesn't act like you, doesn't talk like you. And, and you think, man, I, I, I just, I, I don't have the words to say. The, the, the conversation is going to be too weird. And can, I, can I tell you something? Like, if you know Jesus, you are qualified to talk about Jesus. If you know Jesus and he's living in your life, then you are qualified to talk about him because God loves to use extraordinarily ordinary people to talk about the good, good gift that he's given to this world. God loves to use ordinary people. See, we're, we're all in progress, right? Like none of us have it all figured out. None of us know all the right answers. None of us live perfectly. We live for a perfect God who lives in us if we're in Christ. But we're still this work in progress. We've got room to grow. Uh, last year, I was uh, uh, the first time I've ever coached in my life, right? Uh, I started coaching my son's first grade basketball team. I've never coached anything. Like, I, I try to coach myself every January to eat better and to live a better life. But like, I've never really coached anything outside of that. And, and so um, I, I started, they gave, me seven, they gave me seven boys. And none of these kids had ever played basketball before in their life. None of them. And, and, and so they just knew that mom and daddy had signed me up to come play basketball. And here I am, coach, tell me what I'm supposed to do. And you should have seen, like, the first two, three, four practices. Guys, it was so unorganized. Like, it was so crazy. Like, like, it was like a bunch of cats who were just taking a bunch of, like, hits of catnip. And they were running around, like, all over the place and had no clue what they were doing. They were just running, right? And, and so for a, a few weeks, like we, like, we worked on some fundamentals and basics. And th these were kids who, who had no idea how to dribble, who had no idea how to pass, who had no idea how to, how to play the game and play defense. But something happened after a few weeks kids who didn't know how to dribble began to be able to dribble with their left hand and be able to dribble with their right hand. After a little while, they, they, they began to um, know how to not just know what a pass is, but they, they, they learned what three different kind of passes were and when to use those particular kinds of passes and put them in the right context. And, and uh, before, when they first showed up, they had no idea, no concept of defense at all. And uh, the ball would go to, to one kid and my, the whole team would just flock to this one kid on defense and they're like, oh, oh, get back, bro. There's too many of you. And, and they had no concept of that. But after a while, they began to see, okay, that's the ball. That's your man. That's not my man. I'm going to play defense over here on my man. They didn't know how to get in the passing lane yet. We're still working on that in second grade now. Um, but they, they had no concept to start off with. But now they know. I don't flock to the guy who's got the ball. Like, I guard my man, and then we have another guy over here who's got the ball. I just make sure that he doesn't get the ball. They're still stuck on him like glue right now, right? Just following them everywhere. But at least they're not all on the ball. But what happened in those few weeks is that these kids grew. They started off knowing nothing, but they were still a part of the game. They were still in the practices. They were a part of the game, and they were growing. And, and so I, I want to tell you that because, like, you don't have to be a know-it-all to be in the game. You don't have to have everything figured out to know that you can be in the game and enjoy the game. You don't have to know everything. You have to know Jesus. And he's the one who qualifies you to tell people about him. You don't have to have it all figured out to, to be an ordinary person called by God to share the extraordinarily good, good gift of Jesus with the people around you. God loves to use ordinary people like you and me that are sitting in these seats. Let's just open up real quick to, to Mark chapter uh, 1. In Mark chapter 1, I, I want to introduce you to uh, my friend John. Right? Um, John on the surface, seems like he's a pretty ordinary guy. Or, I'm sorry, he seems like he's a pretty extraordinary guy. Right? He's, got a, he's got a pretty fantastic background, but really when you start to dig into his life, you, you start to see that the, he's really quite ordinary af, after all. He's not who people would have expected to be coming and sharing the good news of, of Jesus. I'm going to give you just a quick background on John. 
Like John, he was the cousin of Jesus, right? He was, he was Jesus' cousin, and he was born just a few months before, uh, before Jesus was born. And so think about the timeline here. Mary finds out that she's getting ready to have Jesus. Like the angel shows up, you're going to have, you're going to be carrying the Son of God. What are you talking about? I'm going to be carrying the Son of God. Uh, like I'm, I'm engaged to this guy over here. Joseph is, is the guy, he, he's, he's my man. Like we're getting married soon. And, and, and if you put a baby inside of me, people are going to start wondering what's been going on. I know I've never slept with nobody, anybody. Joseph, I think, knows I've never slept with anybody, but, the, but, but the, the, the community knows, like, historically, I'm not supposed to be sleeping with anybody, but if I start walking around pregnant, they're going to know some shady business has gone down. Joseph is going to think some shady business has gone down, and so she gets pregnant. She, she tries to talk about this, but then she, she ends up saying, okay, I know the public shaming that's coming my way, and so she gets up and she heads to her Aunt Elizabeth's house. And as she heads to Elizabeth's house, when she gets there, she finds out that Elizabeth had just found out that she was getting ready to have a baby too. That she was getting ready to have a, a son. You see, while uh, John's daddy, Zechariah, was serving in the temple, this was Elizabeth's husband, um, the angel Gabriel came to him and said, hey, your wife, Elizabeth, she's going to get pregnant. She's going to have a son, and you're going to call his name John. Which really, that's not that big of a deal on the surface. But Scripture says that Elizabeth and Zechariah, they were old. They were advanced in years. And on top of that, she was barren. Like she hadn't had kids her entire life. And she couldn't have kids. And, and, and guys, I, I just want to do like a historical sidestep here with you. Like, men, I want you to check in real quick with me, okay? If you're married, definitely check in with me real quick. Because I was reading this this week, and I was like, oh, this is how you stay out of trouble with your wife. Right here. Because I want you to see what Zechariah says real quick. Because Gabriel's telling him all this stuff, right? And, and, he's, and he begins like, how is all this going to happen? And here's what he says in Luke chapter 1, verse 18. He says, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man. Now watch the side juke he does here, guys, okay? He says, I'm an old man, but my wife, she's advanced in years. She's not old. She's advanced in years. Terminology makes a difference here, guys. Because there's going to be a day when you're, when you're boo. When she's, when she's advancing in years and she's not going to want to hear you say she's old, she's going to want to know that she's the gal, she's the one that still captures your heart the way that she did from the day that y'all met. She doesn't want to hear, she's old. <laughs> she's advanced in years, men. Learn from Zechariah in this moment here. She's advanced. But the truth is they're both old, right? <laughs> they're both old. We don't know how old they are. But we know that they're beyond the, uh, the, the age where it's common to have children. And Scripture says that she's barren. Uh, some commentaries say that she, was, um, she had to be 60 years old because that seems to historically be the age where just women can't have children anymore. And, and so she's at least 60, maybe even and older than that. And Zechariah says, how is this even going to happen? And I want you to hear what Gabriel tells Zechariah in the temple. Because John, from the very beginning of his life, he was given a purpose. From the very beginning of his life, he had a mission. Just like every one of us that are sitting in this world, we've been called to a mission. We've been called to a purpose. And the mission that he had was to prepare the world for Jesus, to prepare people to receive Jesus. And John gets to tell people every day of his life about this great gift that was getting ready to come into the world, the same gift that we get to talk about. And here's what he says. In Luke chapter 1, verse 16, I know we're a marker, but we're going to get there in just a second, but we have it up here for you. He'll turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he'll go before him 
and the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. John, he was given this mission, the same mission that was given to Abraham, the same mission that was given to the judges, to the kings, and to the prophets. John had this mission to go and prepare people to receive the gift of Jesus, to tell people that Jesus is coming. That's what John started to do. But do you ever think that as he grew up, like if he ever wondered if he was insignificant? I mean, because this is, this is a pretty big task. Do you ever, you ever think he wondered, uh, am I qualified to do what you've like put on my life to do? I mean, because you're asking me to tell the entire world about this, th- th- this man, Jesus, who's coming, this Savior who's coming, that, that they're waiting on, but how are they going to know he's the one? I mean, I, my, my life isn't perfect. I, I, I mean, you've called me, but I, I've probably done some crazy things. And, and you, can, you can imagine that there must have been some things going on in his mind at some point in his life because John, the way that he's described in the book of Mark, John's a pretty crazy dude, okay? John's got some things going on in his life. And, and let's, let's see um, what, uh, how strange he is. I mean, there's no way around it. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the Son of God, as it's written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So this was prophesied about all the way back in Isaiah, right? This was going to be John who was coming. His job was to prepare the way. John appeared in verse 4. And like we see John, right? We, we see him, um, we see the, the promise of John being uh, uh, given in, uh, to Zechariah and to Elizabeth at the beginning of Luke. Uh, and uh, we, we see, like, he flips out and, and like, literally flips out in, in the womb when, when Mary shows up and she sees, like, like Jesus is, over, like, over here. I don't know how they had this womb connection, right? But, but, but John flips. And then, and then the next time we really see John, he's walking around in the desert. And, 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 and he's doing some baptizing out here. Verse 4, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins in all the country of Judea. And all Jerusalem, uh, go ahead and, and circle repentance there or underline repentance because we're going to come back to that in just a minute. Uh, verse 5, and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and they were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, now watch how Mark describes John here. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. What y'all have for breakfast this morning? I bet you didn't have locusts. I bet you didn't wake up this morning and go out your front door and start looking around on your tree like, hey, what's here? What do we got to eat this morning? Like, John was eating bugs, and he's eating wild honey. And he preached, saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I've baptized you with water, but he's going to baptize you. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. See, John's not really the one that people are expecting. John's not the one that people are, are, would have expected to come and tell the best news that the world has ever. Like, we're waiting, and we're waiting to be consoled. We're waiting to have a Savior. But John doesn't appear to be the one that would actually be pulling that off. He actually appeared quite unqualified. He appeared to be somewhat insignificant, maybe even a little bit crazy, right? Dude was wearing camel hair in the middle of the desert. And it, yeah, here, here's, this is taken from his Instagram this morning. Um, so, I'm sorry, it's not answer, like Israel Graham or something like that. 
but like, look, I mean, look at this guy. I mean, try to picture him in your mind. He's living in the desert. He's eating bugs. He's dipping into the wild honey. He's wearing clothes that are made out of camel hair wrapped in a leather belt. Like, if you try to imagine this guy, like, this is not the guy that you're going to feel comfortable around. This is not the wise sage that you're going to get advice from. I mean, literally, if you were to put him in your context right now and you were to be walking down the street, like, and you saw him on your side, you'd be like, I'm going to get on this side. I'm going to walk this way. Or if he was coming down the alley, you'd be like, I think that dude's got a chainsaw. I'm out of here. Like, you'd be freaking out. You're like, that's not me. And if you got your kids with you, you're certainly like, kids, get back. Get back. That's crazy John. Like, we, we don't know what he's going to do. Like, he's got that crazy look in his eye. Like, you, this is not the guy that you're expecting to be the one to carry the good news of the Savior at all. But John didn't seem to care. He didn't seem to care about the perception of other people. He didn't seem to care what people thought about him or what he was wearing or what he was eating. He wasn't worried about his image. He wasn't worried about being vegan or vegetarian or, or he wasn't worried about PETA. Like, dude's wearing camel hair, right? Like, he's just not worried about that kind of stuff. Like, the man John, he knows what he's been called to. He knows that he's been called to tell the world about Jesus. Regardless of what the perception of anybody else is, he knows what he's been called to. He knows that Jesus is the greatest gift, and he has a call in his life to make people ready, to prepare people to receive this Jesus. And guess what happens? What Mark tells us is that John begins to open up his mouth to speak, and everybody starts to flock to the desert. They start to flock to the desert, to this guy who seemed completely insignificant, completely unqualified, people that you wouldn't want to be around, right? It's, people start to flock to him to, to hear the message. And all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him, and they were being baptized to him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. John was saying, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about him. He's coming. Are you ready? And he was preaching a message of repentance. And the word repent here, or repentance, it means to change your perspective. It means to change your direction, to change your ways. It means to, to turn your life inside out, to, to, to do a complete U-turn in your life. When you realize I've been going the wrong direction, you re- and you, you find out, like, this is not right. Like, you hit the brakes and you do a U- U-turn. And what John was saying is, turn your life inside out. Hit the brakes. Do the U-turn. Get ready for Jesus. And what happened was people were preparing their hearts to hear from them. They were ready to receive the message that John was giving them. And so Scripture says that they were being baptized in the Jordan River. And they were confessing their sins. John was fulfilling his mission. He was preparing people to receive the greatest gift that had ever been given. John was making way, making the way straight for Jesus to come. Now, let's be honest, there, like, there, never, there had to be skeptics in the crowd, right? I mean, not everybody was flocking to go get baptized. Not everybody was heading to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. I mean, there were certainly people who didn't agree with his message. Because we know later, like, John gets his head lopped off for talking about Jesus a little too much to, in, for some people's liking. And so there were people who didn't really dig, like, the message that he, I don't know why I said dig. I've never said that before. Like in, in, in this context, there are people who didn't really care about the message that John, that John was saying. I mean, they, they, they just didn't. But there were some who did. There were some, they were ready for a change. They were ready for things not to be business as normal as they have been in the past because they had been oppressed by Rome for so long 
They had been oppressed by other nations for so long that they were waiting for the consolation, just like Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. They were waiting for consolation too. They were waiting for the Prince of Peace to come. They wanted a change in the world. And so when John started talking about this Jesus who the world was waiting for, they flocked to him and they confessed their sin, they repented, and they were baptized by John, making way for Jesus to come in and change their world. John told them about Jesus, and they began to receive Jesus. You see, he, he knew his mission, right? He knew what he was called to do. He knew that he was supposed to tell people about Jesus, to share this gift with others. He knew that it wasn't okay to sit in the room all by himself and to say, this is my promise. This is my God. This is my Jesus. He realized that this thing was for everybody, and it's better if there are more people involved. Like, this isn't just for me. It's for others to be a part, too. You see, Advent is the season where we not only prepare our own hearts to receive Jesus, but Advent's a time where we begin to help others prepare their hearts too. See, God loves to use incredibly, extraordinarily ordinary people to share the great, great gift of Jesus with others. And so Advent is an opportunity that we get to share this good gift. We get to tell about Jesus to the people in our world. The same mission that John had is the same mission that we have. Uh, James talked about an Advent guide uh, just a little bit ago, um, and uh, it's out there uh, on the table. It's on your app. It's on the website. Um, download it. Do it with your family. If you've got a family, go through it by yourself um, if, if, if that's your scenario. And, and one of the things, like we want to put some tangible things in there for you to do this Advent. And, and, and so uh, one of the things in, in the Advent calendar is... Um, to begin to identify people in your world that don't know Jesus. And, and every one of us know people in our world that don't know Jesus, right? In our sphere of influence. And, and so I, I, I want you to begin to think about who those people are, right? And to begin to think, like, you're not unqualified to talk about Jesus with them. Like, if you know Jesus, you are completely confident, or you're completely competent enough to be able to talk about Jesus because you're just sharing your story. And, and so what we said is uh, uh, grab, grab an ornament, right? This is very tangible. Grab an old ornament or a new ornament and write that person's name on the ornament. And then one of the best things that we can do for people that we know who don't know Jesus is to begin to pray for them. To begin to pray that their hearts would be open to be able to receive the gift of Jesus. Or to, to, to be open to have a conversation with you. We pray that you might be willing to have the conversation or they might pursue you to have a conversation with them. Begin to pray for them. But another thing that we said in there is don't, don't just write their name on an ornament and hang it on the tree. And every time that you see that ornament, you begin to pray for them. But, but go to the craft store or go somewhere and, 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 and buy some camel hair, right? Like, I don't know, you're probably not going to find camel hair, right? But you'll probably find something that's fuzzy enough that it will remind you of camel hair. And then put that on an ornament. And then as you put that ornament on the tree, you, you can remember that God has called me. Like, I am qualified. Like, camel hair and all, right? That God he loves to use ordinary people like you and me to share this good news of him with that person that you've put on the tree. You're not only praying for them, but you're praying that God would give you an opportunity to realize you're, you're, he's called you to intervene in their life. And maybe having a conversation with somebody, like that's way, that's way down the road for you. You feel like there's no way I can have a conversation with somebody. It just freaks me out a little too much. Advent is an opportunity where, or a season where I mean, people are just kind of open to hearing about Jesus. They, they know it's going to be all over the place anyway. They know that people are going to be singing Christmas care. They know that people are going to be going to churches to talk about Jesus. They just know. And so they're, they're already open. And you've got people that are in your world. And maybe having that conversation right now 
isn't your thing, right? Hopefully it will be your thing, and you'll realize that God wants to use you to, to have that conversation. But maybe it's not right yet, for whatever reason. Invite them. Open up your mouth and invite them to church. And you know what you say? You know, I'm going to pick you up. Like, I'll pick you up. Like, you don't even have to drive here. I'll come by your house, and I'll pick you up. I'll scoop you up, and you can go with me. And then guess what? I'll take you home, too. I won't leave you there, right? I'll take you home, too. And and while you're there at this church, like, I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I'm going to sit with you. We're going to listen. We're going to grow together. We're going to talk about Jesus together. We're going to process together. We're going to be in a family of grace together and where we get to experience him in very real and tangible ways and get to hear about the good news of Jesus. And, And maybe you invite that person that's in your family, that's on your street, that's at work, or the person that you, like, you know needs Jesus. You say, hey, just come. I'll pick you up. I'll sit with you. You won't be alone. See, God loves to use extraordinarily ordinary individuals like you and me to share the good news of Jesus with the entire world. We have a gift, and the world needs to know about it. And you're qualified to share that gift. Would you pray with me? Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks that we have a a season where we just get to press into the reality that you came through your son Jesus into this world that was broken. God, you didn't have to do that, but you chose to do that. I mean, you could have left us to our own, but you're just too good for that. Your character doesn't allow that. And so you, you, you sent your son Jesus in and said, I'm, I'm gonna gift these people with a rescuer. And Lord, I, I'm gonna pray that if there's anybody in the room right now that just doesn't know Jesus, that just that they haven't opened up their um, their eyes to see him, or they, um, they, they've been wondering, they've been doubting, I pray that you would be so real right now in this moment that they would realize that you came, you promised, and you're here, and the consolation that we've been waiting for, like, like you're it. You're the one. You bring peace. I want to pray for those who have been walking with you too, God, that are, that are, that are feel close with you, God, they would feel so close to you that it would overflow into the life of others, that they would share the good news of this great gift of Jesus with the world. So Father, as we wait for Christmas, Christmas Day to come, to celebrate the birth of the Savior, may may we wait with this hopeful anticipation that you're coming again, but also as we wait, would you burden our hearts for the people around us so that we might share that news with others, so that others could be in the room playing the game with us, so that others get to be a part of the joy as well. This message isn't just for us. It's for the entire world. Press us into that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.